Good morning and welcome. Happy Wednesday. Four minutes past eight here at AM 1380, The Answer. And I am very pleased to welcome a guest to the airwaves. Many of you may not know the name Daniel Mercury, but he is running for governor of the state of California. He had previously run for Congress, and he joins us now. Daniel, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I just want to double check. Uh, can you guys hear me? And you sound like a million bucks. You sound great. And I, I, I will. I, I'm glad you overlooked the fact that I invoked the name Rick of Citrus Heights and, and still agreed to come on the program. We, we, we'll forget that Rick recommended you. Not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In fact, Rick was the last caller before we got you on the air here at the end of the last hour. Uh, he's a great guy, and he, and he was the one about a month ago who said, you've got to talk to this guy, because I've been on your website, uh, Daniel McCurry, and each page that you go to, it, is, it, it contains gems of, and, and we shouldn't even think of them as gems. They're common sense. Thank you. And you I seem like a very that. common sense kind of guy and a candidate to me. Is that a fair way to assess you? Uh, I, I'd like to think so. I'd like to, you know, think that uh, when people do go and research the information that I provide, that you know, it, it shows and displays that I'm the kind of person that wants to be held accountable and somebody that doesn't want to hide anything because technically that is what our representatives should be doing. They should be laying it all out there in full transparency and that in and of itself is common sense. It's commonality, it's what we need, it's what we're missing, among many other things. Oh, well, more and more at every level of government, and it is certainly true in California and it's true at the federal level, we are being guided by elected officials, Daniel McCurry, who don't seem to really care much what the electorate thinks of their policy positions. No, in fact, uh, you know, it, it's taken me a very long time to discover as to why is that? Why are our selected representatives, is what I like to say, why is it that they are getting away with everything? I'm, I, what am I missing? Why are the grievances falling on deaf ears? And you go to the Board of Supervisors and, you know, when I ran in the special election, that, that's all I was doing was going up and down the state and just listening to parents, you know, talk to the Board of Supervisors or screaming at the, you know, the school boards. And yet somehow things were just being ignored. And, and I finally realized, you know, I needed to dig a little bit deeper and really find out what's happening here. And it, it really kind of boiled down to one of my own personal experiences when I ran for Congress when it came to the contracts. And what I realized was that a lot of times your newly rec representative that uh, gets elected suddenly does a 180. Everybody sort of wonders what happened. This was such a wonderful person. They got into office. We thought that they were you know, backing the people and now suddenly did a 180. What, what did we miss? A lot of times super PACs and a lot of times, you know, lobbyists, corporatists, you know, they will reach out and blanket the landscape to anybody who's running for office. And they will present to them a contract through their campaigns per se, meaning that they'll donate to their campaign and they'll provide you know, funding and uh, support. But a lot of times these contracts will stipulate inside that once they make the agreement that they have to take their money. And it's written in slightly different ways depending on the pack that reaches out to you. It's, it's within that clause, the contract law, that is the loophole that we fall in uh, as people, as second-class citizens, because of the contract. When you look at Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution, I'll paraphrase, 
It simply says that the states cannot come up with a law to prevent the fulfillment of a contract. And so that means that the, the right to a contract is not limited. So it's irrelevant if it's unconstitutional. And the judges will throw it out in the court of law. So when you go to your board of supervisors and you're screaming about integrity-driven elections and we're trying to scream, say, let's get rid of the Dominion software machines because, you know, we can't audit them. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they're under contract. And so technically, they haven't done anything illegal, even though it's unconstitutional. And that there lies the problem as to why everything falls on deaf ears. Yeah, I, I was unaware of this this contract arrangement that apparently is is quite common until recently, and that that was my initial question, Daniel McCurry, was how is this even legal to offer a campaign contribution for a commitment to vote a certain way or take a certain position? I think is the very definition of bribery, is it not? It's, it's absolutely, but that is what we call legal fraudulent concealment, meaning that within these contracts, they, there are certain things that can be hidden. Um, they can be hidden outside of the public's eye. Um, the right to a contract within what I just read to you about to the Constitution is, uh, is the right to a contract is not limited. So that, again, is the loophole. That's why when we talk about bribery, we say, why is, why is this even possible? It is because of that. It is because of we fall under business law, contract law. And the other, the, the other reason why is, is because we're too busy screaming civil rights. I want my civil rights. But that's actually wrong. What we should be screaming is our God-given inalienable rights. So your inalienable rights are protected under the Constitution because they are of nature and they are natural and they are God-given. When you scream civil rights, you're talking about privileges and immunities that are provided to, by the government and by man and those can be removed and the bar association has agreed that people can waive their sovereignty which is not true under common law and that's really the law that we fall under but we scream about civil law and civil rights and so this is where i bribery or why people you know these these conglomerates and these lobbyists can come in and sort of buy up your representative unknowingly because then your representative can be held in a court of law if they do or say anything that goes against whoever that company is or whoever that Fortune 500 company is. It's irrelevant of what is in the contract. They can conceal it. They don't have to show the people. And, and there can be a gag order put on, all of, on uh, your representative who suddenly does a 180 on you. So it is legal, and this is why they call it legal fraudulent concealment, because it's permitted under the Constitution. So if you do it quietly with a bag full of cash in a congressman's office, that's against the law. But if you do it in accordance with contract law, it's okay to bribe a, a, a legislator. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, they have what's, they also have what's called a revolving door where you have a lot of maybe previous representatives who are no longer in office, but because they've been part of the program, they are the go-between. So the corporation yeah. in and of itself can't go directly to your representatives, but they can provide a go-between. Either the go-between can be a lobbyist, it can be just a simple lawyer, a representative. It doesn't matter whoever is speaking on their behalf. As long as they do that and then they come with a contract, well, then it's legal and it's fair. And that's how it pretty much rolls. And so then that's where the numbers kind of go up and down. And then, of course, if you are somebody who's the incumbent, and you raise, you know, you know, $50 million, let's just say. Well, a lot of times that money 
will is permitted to either be cycled into say a nonprofit organization or it go it can go to the party. So then right. the party now has an additional fifty more million dollars that they do with whatever they want. You know, they empower you know, or they they corner uh, any of your representatives um, by threat of not providing to their campaign, and so they tend to vote on bills that are completely unconstitutional. And if all laws do not harmonize, any legislation that is passed that doesn't harmonize with the supreme laws of the land, it's null and void. There's no there's no getting around that, and that's never been contested. Uh, when you look at some of the old 1800 cases where it's uh, Mayberry versus Madison. So a lot of times this is sort of what's going on with a lot of the contracts and agreement when they buy out your representatives. Um, it's all under contract, and then we get these, these you know grotesque bills that completely undermine the Constitution. And just because they, they operate under the color of law, they're not law. But because you and I and the average person doesn't really take the time to understand this because we're so inundated with the corruption, just trying to put food on the table, we don't know any better. And this and there lies the problem. Well, and it is a major problem. Our guest is Daniel Mercury. He's a candidate for governor here in uh, California. How's your time? Can you spend one more segment with us? Absolutely. I would love that because when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your history, and we'll talk about some specific issues we need dealt with here in California. We will have more with gubernatorial candidate Daniel Mercury right after this on the Phil Cowan program. Right now, 42 at Cal Expo. Here's more of the Phil Cowan Show on AM 1380, The Answer. Thank you, Sean. 18 past 8 a.m. 1380, The Answer. We're back with our guest, the candidate for California Governor Daniel Mercury. And, Daniel, I, when we talk about the many issues, and it's a very long list, that face the state of California, we talk frequently about, at least in conservative circles, a couple of the big issues are crime, which is spiking in California, homelessness, which is just still on the rampage, and the two issues are intertwined. But I don't hear anybody talking much about the water situation in California. Were you to be elected, if Daniel McCurry takes over as governor next January, what can be done to secure more fresh water for the people of California? Well, I think one of the one of the first easiest answers is to stop dumping it in the ocean. Um, you know, if you look at the Orville Dam spill that happened, um, that unfortunately was there was no there's no actual oversight. I mean, look at the details of what happened and what caused it. And there is no actual seasonal sort of plan as to when we should release it out into the smaller pipelines that we have here in California. And so that a lot of our, say, rural areas that already have natural barriers and already have smaller uh, pipelines that go to these natural, uh, you know, natural resources and, and natural barriers to hold water. Um, we're not actually releasing it out there. We're actually causing a water shortage. And it, it begs the question if this is uh, purposeful. So some of the things that we can do is uh, what we already have here in the state of California are general obligation bonds, which the state can call upon and utilize that money anywhere from two to four to five billion dollars a year that we can uh, utilize for small delta channels. Those delta channels, um, it, it, you know, can be a, a lifesaver for the entire state in all areas, especially with our farmers that uh, are constantly struggling for water. Water is constantly, you know, they're raising the amount of money per district, per county, but the, the amount of money that we're having to, you know, pay into isn't 
doing anything for the infrastructure and it's definitely not producing more water. So I fail to see why paying more money into it is going to produce more water when they're not putting it towards any of the current infrastructure right now. So when we talk about new technologies that we have maybe potentially on the horizon, we still have a current infrastructure that's being utilized. So one of the best things that we can do is tap into the general obligation bonds and put that money towards smaller uh, pipelines and stop exploring this sort of massive under tunnel Delta water pipeline, this you know big one that they've been talking about for over 20 years, and it's that we're putting money into who and into what and where is it going when nothing is being built. So that's something that we can do right away uh, is utilize the obligation bonds and, of course, smaller recycling reservoirs. Um, we can standardize uh, our flow of the water per season, which we didn't do with the Oroville Dam spill. If you again, if you look at the report, you'll see that we're not actually maximizing how much water you know seasonally we're getting in the winter and how much you know we're losing in the summer and so on and so forth. So these are simple things that we can do that's staring at us in in our face. And one of the things that I'd like to um, tap into is. You know, when we look at um, rainwater, when we look at harvesting rainwater, why aren't we doing this, you know, as an incentive for everybody in the United States or building new homes or even, uh, you know, outfitting uh, older homes that should be collecting uh, water, say, in the valley or in some of our desert areas? You know, we should be uh, allowing for an incentivized, um, you know, program that helps these areas always constantly have water. Again, but this is something that when you have these, you know, representatives uh, in office, they're signing these agreements and contracts that are allowing companies to buy up natural resources, which actually goes against the state constitution when you look at Article 10 and 10A. So they're, they're, again, that, that's something that as a governor, I can now avoid. No company can come in and buy up natural resource lands and control that water, which is supposed to be used for the good of the state uh, across the board. So these, again, we have very simple answers. We have easy solutions. They're staring us in our face. And as a governor, this is what I plan to do to help out our farmers and our water shortages that we have in our state. Since you brought up the issue of farmers, it, it does appear as though the leadership of this state is um, undertaking a concerted effort to diminish agriculture in the state of California. To what do you attribute that? Why would they want to handcuff ag in this state? Well, it might sound a little conspiratorial, but um, California, as we most of us know, is the fifth largest economy in the world, and we grow some of the you know the majority of the crops that you know we we export to second and third world countries that are in need of food, and so we uh, utilize this on the back end to sort of strong arm other countries into sort of complying with whatever it is that we want them to do. And then, of course, we're utilizing that here in our own state against our own people that, as you know, some stores are having a shortage of food. Um, some people are having to pay higher prices. The farmers are getting squeezed with, you know, the amount of water that they require to continue the crops. They're also, you know, having to dump some of the food that they've been able, that they've been growing um, for basically a type of control to, uh, again, get people to comply without actually forcing you they're you know they're undermining you and they're getting you to go the direction that they want you to go in when you look at our health 
You know, we look at everything that's going, you know, all things uh, health and safety, whether you want to t- utilize, you know, the COVID pandemic as, as a reasoning, whatever, it's, it's, a, it's a source for them to always uh, control the people. And this is this has uh, been this way for quite some time. It's just, again, it's something that's, you know, in shadows that nobody really understands. And this is what I've been digging into and been noticing that a lot of our property is also being bought up by outside entities oh, that... Yeah. You know, if you look at, if you go to any county and you start digging into who owns the property, you start seeing that the name of a person or a group or company that owns property actually is somebody that lives in China or India and Russia. So those uh, or or it's be- Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates is another one. And this is actually something that is not permitted. But yet somehow, you know, when, you know, again, the loopholes in the state constitution and the constitution is permitting the state to do this, but it's not supposed to go that way. It, it undermines the sovereign. The sovereign is the one who actually writes the laws and it is the agencies that sort of carry out those duties. But it's being, again, it's being undermined. And so they're selling off our property. And so it affects us as sovereigns when we go into buy a property or we look at the natural resources or, again, with farming. So this is um, again not to sound conspiratorial, but this is the this is one of the many reasons uh, why we have the shortage and why our farmers are getting affected. Well, I, before we run out of time here, and I, I would hope to get you back sometime soon so we can talk more in depth about the issues like homelessness and the crime in this state. I want to take just a couple of minutes here to to let you tell your story a little bit about your history, Daniel McCurry. I know that you were a Navy vet, but. Um, what what has your career been like, and what led you to this place where you decided you you wanted to try and make a difference in in public policy? Uh, well, it, it is uh, as you said. I am a, a naval veteran. I was a combat search and rescue as a former Black Knight. I served two tours and three operations: uh, Operation Southern Watch, Operation Iraqi Enduring uh, Freedom, and Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, you know, it it really boiled down to the fact that. I did not fight for what we are enduring now. And I am just a, a common man. I, I'm as common as they come. I'm rough around the edges. And, and to be honest, I'm quite all right with that. I'm the kind of man that just wants to be left alone and live his life. I'm not looking to you know, climb the highest mountain. I'm not looking to be the richest of, of people in the world. I'm just looking to live a, a nice, comfortable life with my family. And I was in pursuit and working in Hollywood as a producer, a writer. I own my own independent production company. I finally hit, you know, sort of, you know, the union status and, and SAC signatory so that I could get veterans off the street and, uh, you know, get them in working on projects and commercials, um, getting them a job. And uh, things really started getting negatively affected. I also work in marketing, and I noticed there and, and there are tons and tons of rules and laws and red tape and regulations to even put an ad out now, even working with you know some of the biggest companies in California. And as a veteran, this really negatively affected me in the sense that I'm looking around and I'm seeing people struggling just to find work, uh, struggling just to kind of keep up with their bills. Uh, people are having to work two, three jobs. You know, children are, are being negatively affected in our schools with what's going on. And uh, I just looked around and I just said, this is not what I fought for. I did not fight for communism, Marxism and socialism that is, has been, you know, creeping its way in more so every single day than than what it has been before. It's just now it's in the forefront. And um, really, uh, it, it just it sickens my stomach. I, I fought for freedom. I fought to maintain our sovereignty and, and most importantly, the Constitution. 
and uh, this is being eroded away. And that is what dragged me into politics. To be honest to your listeners, I loathe politics. I cannot stand the political spectrum. It is it is dirty. It is filled with swines and reprobates that um, are predominantly out for self-interest and self-preservation. They do not care for the people. And I have come across way too many of them uh, to think otherwise. And uh, I just, for me, I just said I've had enough. And uh, this technically will be my third race. So as I was, a, uh, you know, I ran for Congress. I ran in the special election. I have not stopped running. It has been almost three years. And uh, and uh, I am not going to turn you know my back on the people of the state. I've never turned my back on the people of my country. You don't have to like me, but at the end of the day, I am aiming to starve the government and feed the people. Well, and that is a worthy goal, young man. And and I wish you all the best. And again, I hope I, we have a chance to chat again here in the very near future about some more specific issues. Daniel McCurry, thank you so much, and best of luck to you, folks. If you want to know more, go to DanielForCalGovernor.com. That's DanielForCalGovernor.com. Daniel McCurry, best of luck, and thanks again. Thank you. Good night.